Hey, I'm Michael Dorinda. And I'm Jake Bennett. And welcome to episode number 85 of the North Meet South web podcast. So I am so sorry to announce that Mr. Dorinda has the COVID. Mm. True story. Why? I mean, why, why, why would you say that? <laughs> we don't have any... Mate... You've got a better chance of having it. Illinois is a shitstorm. The Dude, United it States totally is. A is. Catastrophe. It, and do you know how many cases locally contracted we've had in the last two weeks? Tell me. Zero. That many. That's awesome. <laughs> See, that just proves it's all a myth. It's not even real. That's it. It's Australia is not a real country. All of us. All of Australia is not even real. Yep. That's how you know. That's what That's I'm saying. Because you know, Australia get COVID. is not real. Yep. It's. No, uh, it took our friends in Victoria a little while to get their act together. Uh, they they had to go through two lockdowns and the second lockdown kept getting extended because they just couldn't do what they were supposed to do. But um, it's all it's all like it's you know obviously we don't want to get complacent because this thing is this thing and it can come back at any time. But we're heading yep. into summer now, so it probably makes things a little bit safer. But you know we don't know how this thing mutates and and whatever. But it's you know we had the news during the week that Pfizer announced that they had some good early indications for the vaccine that they're working on. Now, naturally, a, a drug company is going to say that that's good and, and their their share price followed suit. <laughs> right, right, um, exactly. So, uh, you know, yeah. but I think there was still some concern medically, like medical experts were coming out and they were like, you know, we probably need to just give it a hot minute. Like you need to wait, you need to right, test and right, see right. what that's, the long-term effects are because, you know. Yeah, the, yeah, the rush testing. 90%, yeah, yeah the, the, the 90% success is good enough you know and that gets enough people successfully treated so that we can start you know with the herd immunity and all of that kind of good stuff but the you know the, the virus has only been around sort of 12 months really and so we don't know long term what the effects of that are going to be of i mean you know we're starting to see indications of what that is in terms of like liver damage uh, liver internal organs damaged and things like that that you know, we're not going to know right, people right. that are still struggling weeks and months after they, they're sort of over the initial hump. And we don't know in a 12-month window that, that they've been working on any possible vaccine, what the long-term effects of the vaccine are going to be. Because normally these things, you know, they're two, three, five years of development and testing. Now, obviously, we need to sort of accelerate the process rush here. this one. Like we yeah. need to accelerate. Yeah. And, it, and I totally get that we need to accelerate the process, but- there are still reservations. Now, I'm not anti-vaccine, like, but like yeah, all of I our, understand what you're both saying. of our kids are vaccinated. I'm vaccinated. My wife's like, we're, we're pro-vaccine and, you know, our kids can't go to school unless they're vaccinated. Insane. So, Well, um, I mean, I think most <laughs> mostly there are people who yeah. get around it, but. Yeah, they that like, you know, they have to have update. We have to provide the records that, that they are up to date with, with their vaccinations. So, you know, I'm, I'm all for, for accelerating it, but at the same time, like we don't know with how the virus behaves, you know, post recovery and how, how, yeah, this is how I am know, legend happens. Right. Right. This is how I am yeah, legend happens. The yeah. stuff. We yeah. have this amazing cure that's going to cure everybody globally, except for mm-hmm. oops, we didn't do our testing and now everybody's a zombie. So, Hey, Correct. you know what? Yeah. I maybe, maybe, uh, it could have been taken in, in bad humor. That I, I said that we get the mm. show. I'm just trying to add some levity to what is otherwise a very grim situation, right? And you're <laughs> right. In, in Illinois, it is sort of a crazy town right now. So they're, they're shutting stuff down and all sorts of mess. So yeah, we'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see what what ends up happening with Thanksgiving plans and all that. That's kind of what we're 
trying yeah. to figure out now. Yeah. So anyway, before that, I we were talking about another... avoid any of that stuff. <laughs> What's that now? Yeah, I know, right? I would try and avoid it. Give yep. thanks by staying at home with your own family and just be thankful that you're healthy and still here and all that good stuff. Absolutely. Yep. So before that, we were talking about misophonia, which is a condition mm-hmm. in which a person is overly sensitive to sounds, which we diagnosed Michael with. So that's actually what I was going to say. And then I just decided to switch yeah. to COVID at the last minute. But misophonia, <laughs> that's what you actually have, uh, which mm-hmm. is usually like a trigger sound, like people tapping a pen or chewing gum or something like that, or chewing, just chewing in mm-hmm. general. Yeah. Chewing in general. Yeah. Yep. And I, I was saying that chewing is the kind of thing that if I hear, like if you ch- take a, a chunk out of a delicious pork crackle or some crunchy bacon or, you know, oh, that kind of that stuff's up. fine. It's it's the the more quiet sound, you know, that I'm chewing with my mouth closed and just the... Oh, don't. Just I don't, don't know how much Ugh. of that is going to come Ugh. through the microphone. Like, that's, And it's that, that kind of thing. And, and it's usually, it's people you know, because if I, I, I don't... I'm not phased by strangers because usually if you are where this other people, you know, strangers are eating or in a restaurant, it's loud enough that you don't hear, you know, the person next right, to you, right, let alone right. other people chewing. So it's not too bad, but it's it's usually, you know, close people that are close to you, friends, yeah, and the reason the reason why family uh, members. That whole thing kicked off is because I was typing on my keyboard before the show started, and you said one of the most obnoxious sounds in the world is your little Mac keyboard coming up through the through yeah. your microphone. Yeah, and you've got like the old butterfly switches on that keyboard. It's true. Still. Yeah. 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 So it's even worse because like, and so you like really thud on it, and and I said, you know, the the sound doesn't come through in the stream or anything like that, and right. I and I edit it out in in the audio podcast, but it's just it's just that like I can see the waveform coming up. I'm like, oh, Jake's typing there, and it's just like this, <laughs> the dull thud of of keys. The rage. Begins Shock to mount rise. be damned. <laughs> Well, hey, man, we've got a couple of things we've been working on this last week mm. we could talk about. Uh, I've been working with, man, we've been, we're, we're getting ready to deploy this new phone system. And so mm-hmm. we've had to deal with, I mean, so it's a great, it's a great system compared to like what we currently have, but it's also like these products that you can tell they started out as like, oh man, this is the new hotness and everything. And then you got investors involved and then it just went to crap. Not totally Mm -hmm. like the system still works and they actually their onboarding is amazing second to none but you can tell that the ui it was just completely rushed like they got halfway through and then they were just like just throw it on Mm -hmm. the page just get it done right just make it happen yeah exactly and uh their their webhooks and like their api interactions like how you can actually invoke webhooks is is pretty nasty so you can only send information through headers you can't there is no payload body like That is Can bad. you imagine that? Like, I mean, that's what we're that's what mm-hmm. we have to do. It's kind of insane. I've never seen anything like that before where it's like, hey, yeah, sure, we'll send you a webhook when this happens. But by the way, we're only gonna send information through headers. So um, yeah, good luck with that. So that's been kind of yeah, fun. Yeah, I I know what you mean in terms of I, I've had the same problems with our phone system and and they built the webhook implementation for us on the fly, but the way that the billing aspects of the phone system and the actual phone call part of the phone system talk to each other on their end like they're separate things so some things are are considered part of billing so that when we get an event that a phone call has started for example it doesn't necessarily follow through to a hang-up event or a change in queue event or a a, an on-hold event so we don't get an event if an agent puts a call on hold Mm. but we get an event if the agent picks it up 
from hold and it comes oh, through as okay. an answer event. So we can kind of infer that, okay, there was this agent where the call came in, hit the IVR, it went through the queue and then they answered it. And then you see like four more answer events because right. yeah. the agent has put them on hold and then picked it up again and put them on hold and picked it up again right. so, until you get the hang up <laughs> event. So, and so we have to stitch all this stuff together and reconstruct it and we have to join different records together and we have to make oh, dude, that's a mess. inferences and it took, and there was like no documentation. It was kind of slapped together. So I was working with the developers for the phone platform to get them to like give us some information that could tie us together because in some instances we, we couldn't, we couldn't tie together um sibling events like one event after the other we, sure. we had to kind of infer and like jump around it and then come forwards to to get some information out of it so that oh, was lots of fun ours isn't that, that bad done. ours isn't that bad ours actually has um <laughs> we actually have like a reconcile file at the end of the day too so it'll download at like 11 54 p.m and it's just mm-hmm. like here's all the calls that were made today so in case you missed anything yeah with your, like your live stuff it just kind of like you can reconcile at the end yeah. of the day, make sure you didn't miss anything. so we get we get the total call records but those call records because they're billing and um the phone record system are separate for example if we have a callback so if a customer calls us they you know press five for a callback and then sure. we call them back yeah that that appears as two different calls as the okay, original sure, inbound call yeah, yeah. and then the subsequent outbound call right and there's no way to link the two together historically right so because if we don't you don't do it know. on the fly yeah. with the webhooks correct yeah so, like, if I look at it, I can say there's the inbound call and there's an outbound call to the same number. So, I can guess that those things are probably related. But because they're not tied together from their end, we can't really make the assumption in an, in our automated system yeah. to, to do that. So, some of our statistics get a little bit hairy um, and there are things that we can't, like, we can't infer whole time based uh, on based on the... Because you get separate events. The, so you just the, have somebody picks up, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So, you wow, know, there's things like mess, that that yeah. if we don't do it on the fly, then we, we don't necessarily have it. And there's there's some back and forth, you know, they they want to spend money on like a proper... The, uh, the phone system we've got is is fine for the size we were when we had it up up until basically when we got it acquired. And we're kind of at, at the size and scale now where we're feeling the pain of not having the statistics because you can't do, you know, KPIs and things like that sure, accurately right. if you haven't got accurate reporting. And we've got pretty much 98% of the way there. But we're in that sort of sticky spot where we kind of need the functionality of the phone system to do some more advanced things and to like prepare for the future. But the the leap in cost from what we're currently paying to that level yeah. of phone system is like we can't justify it from a from a cost perspective. So it's it's an interesting dance. And I've said, look, my hands are off of this phone system now like i we we've spent so much time figuring out you know handling the events stitching together the call records making sure it all presents as accurately as possible we can't like we can't spend any more time on it and if you want anything more in depth you're gonna have to you know you're either gonna have to suck it up for now or you're going to have to spend the money to go to the next level and then the downside of doing that is that it it takes weeks to to get a new phone system in you've got to cut over things will stop working you know, and then you have to learn how to use use the new phone system. Um, we're all remote now, so that needs to be factored in, in in terms of like, do you have soft phones? Do they work as well as the ones that we've got now? Yeah. Um. You know, and all of the the retraining of staff and retraining the staff on mass is much more difficult when everyone's remote because you Absolutely can't physically have a, a handset there and like push this button and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So 
it's 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 a challenge. I think we're sort of getting to the point where we're looking at returning to the office in full, uh, the the you know the whole contact center and things like that. But you know, it could still be early next year before that happens at this stage. So yeah, so. I'll make my pitch here. So like if you're switching to a new phone system, Live Live Vox is the one that we're using, going to be using. It's, gonna, it's, it's pretty Vox. nice, actually. Um, like nice. I said, like uh, there are certainly things to complain about, right? There's some weird stuff. Um, but all in all, it's it's not too bad. And the other thing, like, okay, two other things I was going to say, we're at an advantage in some sense because the system that we're switching from is literally the dumbest system in the world. Like, And when I say dumbest, mm-hmm. I mean that we have no integrations built with it at all. Like mm-hmm. the reporting is garbage and like there's, I can actually, I can think of like two things that we have that's built that, um, that we have integrated with it, but like barely anything. So everything that we're doing, it's not like we're having to rewrite a whole bunch of stuff that's currently integrated into an existing system and rewrite it into the new one. It's just everything we're doing mm-hmm. is brand new, which feels really good. Yeah. Um, the last thing I was going to say too, is like, it's, I was we were, when you were saying like I'm hands off on this phone thing. I was I was thinking like oh that's so nice. Like I wish I was the back at that spot again in some senses. But then I'm like, it is actually a trade off because I do get to have input into what how we're structuring it. So it's not like you just get something mm-hmm. delivered to you. Like hey, we made this really dumb decision. Now you need to work with this. Please tell your developers this is how we're doing it now. It's like wait 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 wait. Did you think about this? Well. No, but this is how we're doing it because we already decided it's like, no, if you just would have done this one thing <laughs> different, it would have been so much better. Yeah. So I'm thankful that I've been able to at least have input on some of that stuff. Um mm-hmm. it's good. It's good. We're we're getting there. Um, so anyway, that's been that's been kind of an adventure. Uh we're going through SOC 2 audits, which is again nothing fun to talk about. Uh no. but software development lifecycle stuff. And then the one thing I've been working on that has been kind of fun is Netlify. So we're messing with Netlify a little mm. bit. Uh, which has been kind of cool. Lambdas, like they have these lambdas you can you can throw in there now and like this function stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's been yeah, so cool. you can background processes and things like yeah, that. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. So that's been kind of interesting. And then of course the big the big kahuna, the big one is that uh what happened with then ping me this week? Uh well we soft launched it, I suppose. I think that's um, probably the best we, way to put it. <laughs> We 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 rushed to the finish line. We drafted a whole bunch of marketing stuff. We got some mailing uh, emails to go out to people that are part of early access, people that were beta testing, people that are on the list. Different different things there. Um, we've got some other um, things. You worked on some open graph images to update that kind of stuff. We just gave a, a final polish on the on the landing page to make sure all of that's really clear. Um, ran into untold horrors with our CI pipeline and the way that we're trying to manage deployment of documentation yeah. um, <laughs> is interesting because I initially that's a whole, I had the docs. That's a whole thing, dude. That whole That's a whole thing in itself. That's an episode it in itself. But at a, at a high level, we initially had the docs as markdown files as part of the the main application repository. And then, and then I said, oh, you know, we probably want people to have the ability to edit them, you know, submit pull requests and add things if things are not correct, fix type, you know, all, the, all that kind of stuff. Which is, so we split it is good. The docs. That, that's nice, right? Yeah. That'll, that'll be nice if somebody can add it, add those uh, little things. Yeah. So we we split the docs out into a separate repository, which is sure. just the markdown files. Um, and then we put in, you know, some YAML front matter and things like that in there so that we can get titles and, and, and that kind of stuff. And then as part of the deploy, we clone that down into resources. We then, you know, 
compile the docs basically and, and deploy it. Now, and on, the way you were doing that too, so just to be clear, like so you were throwing them into resources and then you had a controller that was reading them out of the resources location. Correct. So they were being read out of the resources and then we're using the sparsity response cache package to cache the responses so we're not you know, reading from disk and, and parsing the markdown every time. So it's just the HTML was cached. The problem with that is that we're hosted on Vapor, so there is no disk. So you can't access the resources locally. And so we're trying to figure out like how do we get the docs somewhere where Vapor yeah, can read cause, them. Because normally what and, you'd do is and, like during a normal deploy, you would just say as part of our pipeline deployment, you would just say run this command which you've built that sucks the docs down from this Git location and then it just publishes and pushes them into the into the resources location on that disk. Yeah. But there is no yeah. disk. That's the issue. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, there is there is no there is no local disk, and you can like do local storage and things like. But then that's another thing that you're paying for and managing, and and I didn't want to deal with that. And then we thought, okay, well, we will publish them to S3, um, but then that becomes a whole other thing because when you're doing the deploy, you don't have access to the production credentials, and then you've got to make sure that CI has access, CI has access to those credentials to push it, and and that's janky, and like all of this stuff just got weirder and weirder and then i thought vapor as part of its deploy process will take everything that's in the public directory yeah and publish it to a bucket on s3 automatically for you um and so what i did which i th- which works but i think is a little bit gnarly still is we will as part of the deploy process we will clone down the the documentation into the the public directory so public slash docs we will then let vapor take those docs and upload them to s3 and then the docs controller just does a file get contents yep of yep. of the asset public. url yeah. <laughs> on on the s3 i mean you know the public docs and the like the static right. assets and you know yeah. you can go and change them anyway but i wanted it to all be part of the single deploy process that you know, when we deploy the site, we update the docs rather than having to do a separate staggered thing. So the file get contents um, was and, the key and, there. It was like, wait a second, <laughs> can we just file get contents on this thing? Yeah, yeah I think we, we can. can. Yeah, we yeah, absolutely we can. And then, and then and then and then our CI pipeline broke because it was not actually publishing them anywhere. And then and then that was a whole thing. And then because we were using file get contents, it was using PHP's default timeout. So when it couldn't connect to the thing to do it, it was like adding 60 seconds to the CI pipeline before eventually the test just failed. So that that was a whole ordeal, but but they're up. So that was that was fun and games, but we got there in the end. And uh, so, that's been, yeah. so we're, at, got, we're live. We've got team invites. Uh, that was also a little bit of a drama, right? So Yeah, team, like we were ready to do this a couple of weeks ago and then teams, we discovered that in order to invite someone to your team, they have to already be uh, a have an user account. of then yeah. have an account of then ping me, which is a little bit of a it's a bit of a user experience boggle, and it's like not nice because pretty much once once you create an account in then ping me, it paywalls you straight away because <laughs> like you right, can't do exactly. anything. Um, you get a fifteen day trial, um, but it paywalls you. It's like you need to slap your credit card down before you can do anything. Um, and we, you know we don't charge you for 15, 15, for fifteen days, but we need that up front. So for someone who's not a user, that's like a a crappy experience because they'll create an account and they immediately get taken to the paywall, which is which is not what you want. And we were going to 
just been um you know grin and bear it and then taylor said that he was going to rewrite jetstream's implementation to do invites so you could send an invite to a non-user and then they would get a link to sign up and then we'll go from there so um taylor taylor did that a couple of uh, a week or so ago right and pushed it into master and so i then went through and i had to grab out the necessary bits bits which were probably three or four files and and a config thing um tested it all working fine um we changed the the process a little bit where when you create an account, if you're invited to a team and you create an account but for the first time, you still got taken to the paywall. So we just um, changed that lifecycle a little bit so that it would switch you to the team straight away. So you would move straight into the team that you were invited to and never see that paywall unless you were to go back to your own personal team, which you would create by default. Um, and then if you wanted to use it for your own projects, you could go and do that. So we fixed that up. Got it all working, tested it locally. It was beautiful. Pushed it live and then it just stopped working. Like it kept on telling me that it couldn't find a registered user with that email address when I was trying to deploy that and and doing some digging. It turned out that Vapor will cache your config, which, you know, this is what you want in production. You want your config sure, cache. Right. So I'm like purging the cache, testing it, and immediately it was telling me that was fine. And then when I reloaded again, it was telling me it was gone again. And so mm. I did some digging through the way that it does it and it there's not the way that it does this is kind of clever in that you don't have a specific features key in your jetstream config or anything like that you pass an array into the jetstream colon colon teams method with that yeah. invitations equals true key value um and then the feature functionality within jetstream checks to see if that config value exists and and goes from there but because it's not a real config value that's read out of a config file, when it gets cached, it doesn't exist. And so that was always returning false. So I messaged message Taylor and he's like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I said, I'm pretty sure it's this. He's like, yeah. And then he messaged me a few hours, like this was after I'd gone to bed. He messaged me a few hours later and he's like, I think I know how to fix this. And then a little bit later after that, he's like, all right, it's fixed. So I pulled that in and uh, if you have a look, I'll see if I can put the link in the show notes to what he did, but it's kind of clever in that he will just on the fly write to config. So if you use the config helper and you pass it in a, a key value array, it will immediately yeah. make that available. So yeah, it yeah. knows that you've said like, I want teams available. And so rather than trying to read from the the cached config, it will inject the config directly and then that'll get cached on the fly. Nice, that's um, awesome. So it was, it was a it was a clever solution. So we pushed that out yesterday, and I sent an invitation to Aaron. And uh, I don't know if he created an account or not, but uh, I'll find out tomorrow and uh, see what where he went from there. But that that was that was pretty good. So I think we're we're pretty much feature complete. And so I moved um all of my production apps at work over on Friday. So we're not pointing to our staging environment anymore. We're now pointing to production, and they've all been running swimmingly except i started getting like task missing alerts all day <laughs> friday and into saturday and i'm like uh what's happening here and it was because the staging environment was still you uh, know, yeah, monitoring yeah, yeah. monitoring all those apps which i had then you know i'd moved so obviously they weren't right. posting the staging right, they anymore they so i'm in, like yeah. yeah i'm like oh okay well i'll just go and delete them from staging and that was when we ran into the new issue. The, uh, the new issue, which is that, which is what we're going to talk issue, about today. Which, which we're going to talk about today. Um, so the new issue. Was, yeah, go ahead. 
Um, if you have a project, the project has, you know, 10 tasks under it and each task, depending on how long you've, you've been using, then ping me will have, you know, 20 or 30 executions. And each execution has two pings, a start and a finish. And each of those has then a webhook call. So you can see how this like tree spans out. Yeah. Yeah. And quickly over time, like it, it gets very big. There's a lot of data very quickly. So when you try to delete that and we use, we're using foreign keys to you know, handle cascading deletes and things like that. So if you delete the project, it deletes the tasks. And then for each of the tasks, it goes and deletes all of the pings. And for each of the pings, it goes and deletes all of the, ex uh, so it goes to these executions. For each of the executions, it deletes all the pings. And for each of the pings, it deletes each of the webhook calls. And so when you have, you know, I think I had 30 or so tasks and you delete 30 tasks worth of, you know, 60 days worth of data, and you're cascading all of that, we're, we're talking tens of thousands of records. Right. It nailed the database. And we're only using, because it's just been a staging environment, we're only using a, a fairly low-powered, like I think it's a T3 micro or something like that, RDS instance. And it nailed it. And so I messaged Jonathan and I'm like, bro, we need a better solution here. Like we, I need a strategy for this. And he hasn't replied to me because it's the weekend and and that's fair. I I guess that's okay and understandable. Um, <laughs> you should be I on call the, the, on demand. Right? So I think the approach that I had suggested and I think that we will do is that we're going to use soft deletes on the project. So when you say delete, it will immediately remove it from the UI. Right. So you can't access it, will, it anymore. Then, yeah. Correct. So you won't be able to see it anymore. Um, and then we will essentially dispatch a job that is responsible for, for going and deleting deletion. all of right. for the actual deletion going from the bottom up so i'm just working on yeah, that process the, at the, the database moment. doesn't care like if you soft delete something it doesn't care at all right and so like Correct. you soft delete and like because we're like, just setting writes, a flag on on the field you're just setting a flag yeah and then if you actually say hey every so often you could probably use quicksand for that actually titan titan quickstand which has like mm -hmm. it cleans up your old deleted records your old soft deleted records that every so often it goes through and just says hey any deleted that records that are older than this just go ahead and actually delete them yes except no because <laughs> that won't fix fix the problem right it's because if you if it goes and deletes those soft deleted records we're still gonna hit that cascading issue sure sure, sure. yeah so um so okay so you're just saying that we don't want to ever delete in that way we want to delete in a different way. So you're not saying, yeah. you're not just saying for the sake of the user and the UI, like a quick response. You're saying yeah. for the sake of the database. Well, and this is the thing. I've been getting like vapor alerts since yesterday or since Friday when I deleted that project because the, the database keeps going up and down. Um, so I the, the plan, right, is that we'll add a soft deletes to the project which will make it like that will give the user instant feedback. It's gone. And then we'll throw a job on the queue that will essentially load everything it needs to from the top down. And then it will delete those things in batches from the bottom up. So we'll go, you know, project, tasks, executions, pings, webhook calls. So we'll load that stuff up and then we'll delete all the webhook calls, you know, a, you know, a chunk, a thousand at a time or whatever. Um, Frank wrote a good post about this on, uh, I think the Odea blog. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll link it in the show that. notes when I find yeah. it. Um, which, which we've already implemented for um our cleanup of like older data. So we only keep sixty days worth of data to to be able to provide 
um what do you call it trend data like comparison oh, yeah. between the current 30 days and the previous 30 Our days retention. so we need to keep yeah. 60 days yeah um so essentially we'll just like chunk through that and and do it that way this is where my mind went straight away then i had a step back moment and i'm like perhaps i should go and check to see if there is something else that is causing this issue like check the database queries but we're not running any database queries we're just doing a delete from projects where id equals three right right and then the database is handling the cascade so i don't think there's any optimizations that we can make because it's doing a cascade the assumption is that all of those things that are foreign keyed are indexed so it's not like we're missing an index somewhere because the 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 presence of the foreign key implies that there is an index on that column. We're not looking at any other fields. We're not looking at IDs. We're not looking at dates. We're just looking at those foreign keys. So I think the solution of going from the bottom up is is the correct one. And now we can say like delete the, um, you know, run the webhook delete job all the way through. And then when that finishes, then go back up to the pings and then go back up to the executions and then go back up to the tasks and then go back up to the project. And I think... I think that will probably solve it. It's not like we're deleting all the time. Like I would assume that if a user is with us, that, that they're with us, that it's not like they're going to create a thing and then hang around for a month and delete it and then smash the database. Yeah. Um, and, and, also, like, yeah. and I know that the deletes work fine because we've already got the cleanup stuff in there. So we can, you know, we go and find the oldest records. You know, we sort the database by created at descending and grab a thousand and we just delete a thousand at a time until none were deleted and then we right. know that we've, we've deleted everything and that like that has no impact on the database whatsoever and that's been running for three four weeks now so um yeah it's just gotta i gotta figure that out if i can have a conversation with jonathan on monday on his monday um and and go from there maybe maybe we'll get a better his, indication his of what's monday happening your tuesday morning monday night tuesday morning yeah You're, yeah so yeah. that's I'm where my head's like, at now like yeah conceptually it's it's simple Conceptually, what I want to do is going to work, um, but we will we will see. I've, like I've you got said, the test. it really yeah. does seem odd. It seems odd that it would be that that heavy of an operation. I mean, I know there's a lot of them, but they're all like you said, they should all be indexed. Like it should literally just right. be like a big massive like drop them all, like no problem. Yeah. Unless it's yeah. like trying to do it all at once or something, or or yeah, like maybe it's MySQL's query planet. Yeah, it's trying to load them all into into memory and like it does like I can't imagine that it's doing it that inefficiently, but who knows? Who does really yeah, I mean because the thing happening? is like the what you're talking about is like that reverse tree, sort of how you have to go gather everything first before you can start deleting. Mm-hmm. I mean, like that's gotta happen. It's not like it magically knows. I mean, I guess if it Correct. kept in memory, like the idea of the thing that it's deleting and then went down the tree and deleted all those, but that would seem weird. I mean, like that would it'd be very odd, especially because you'd have if if for some reason somebody pulled the plug on that database, right? Mm. You'd have just all these orphaned records. Like, so I'm sure it start, it's got to start from the bottom, just like what mm. you're talking about. Yeah, but, and that's what like that's how the the Cascade Soft Deletes package that I wrote, you know, right? Yeah, five years ago works. It it yeah. it keeps on like going down the tree and then working its way back up, back up. Because if you delete stuff at position one, you don't know what's under it. Correct. Because like it's gone, so you've got no way of referring down anymore. So. Yeah. You always need to go from the children up to the grandparents, kind of thing. So, or the great, yep. the great grandchildren, all the way up to the great grandparents. Yep, yep, yep. So, so I've got the, I've got the test written, and uh, we'll see how we go. The other thing that I've had to do is seed like a thousand 
for each of the 10 tasks that I'm creating, I'm seeding 10, uh, I'm seeding a thousand executions so that I can actually have a large enough data set in the test yeah. to feel whether or not this is having any impact. Because if you just have like one of each of those things, well, yeah, of course it's going to be fast and it's going to happen in a second or so. Right. Um, that's not where the issue is. We're talking like when there's tens of thousands of them, right. that it becomes problematic. And if and if we see an issue in slowness at a thousand, it's definitely going to be there at ten thousand or eighty thousand sure. or whatever. So for sure, yeah, it's kind of amazing how much data gets generated, how quickly. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I do almost wonder if it wouldn't be worth it to try and do some sort of snapshotting. It would make everything. I mean, make everything a lot faster, right? Um, that seems to be a pretty common solution. The only problem with that stuff is that, like, if you want to add a new metric and you've since deleted all that stuff, you can't. Like, yeah. you can't ever add yeah. that metric until you have at least double the amount of days of what you know. Like, if you said, well, mm-hmm. I guess only if you want to do the comparisons, kind of like what you're talking about. If you wanted to compare this 30 days to the last 30 days and you wanted to add a metric to that, well, yeah. good luck. Either that or you have to do event sourcing, which is basically you can rebuild those, all of those mm. from forever back right yeah um but it's not like we so, actually let people look back historically no. um so like we just we just show them like you've had this many executions now versus last month and i suppose the more important metric is alerts like how many alerts did you have this yeah. month compared or this 30 days compared to the last 30 days because that's where you yeah. see the meaningful change that's right um we've got we've got metrics ourselves and we take snapshots Every day, so once a day, we'll go and take a snapshot of all the new um, users, alerts, projects, um, tasks, executions, pings, etc. And and we take it. So we've got a number. So we do a count star since yesterday. Yeah. Um. And then we just like when we want to draw the line, we just grab all of the data points from the metrics table because that way we're not doing calculations on the fly. We're just like give me the last 30 days worth of these records. And so we're returning 30 records from the database instead of, instead you know, of thousands at the moment. And thousands and thousands, yeah. Yeah, since since Friday, when I moved all of my apps across, we've had 25,500 pings, 13,500 executions for 44 total tasks across six projects. Right, that's that's quite a few. So, and and that's just, that's just my stuff. Right. You know, if I was to look at um, what we've had in... Uh, what do you call it, in staging for the, I think we've had like 30 or so people using it actively. I'll tell you in a minute. 64 total users monitoring 81 projects. We have had a total of 3 million executions and 5.6 million pings in the last 30 days. That's an interesting number, actually. That means we're missing 400,000 pings. I mean, that, that, that means either... You know, either it didn't finish, which is possible, right? Mm. Or we somehow missed the start. It missed sending the start one, one of those two, right? Yeah. And the thing is, if we don't get the start, we have enough information in the finish to still complete it. Yeah. So it's it's not critical that we get it necessarily, except if we miss the start and then your alert gets tripped and then we get the finish, like we can reconstruct it. But yeah. you may have received a, a missing alert because the the start ping didn't reach us for whatever reason. Yeah, that it's rare that that's happened, and there's quite a lot of skips. You know, I'm saying. Oh sure, yeah, that makes sense. Like where we get an execution, but the execution, all it was doing is it was checking and evaluating the when statement, 
right? So yeah. you have your when statement that has a closure and says, if this is true, then run it. So you just have a skip. And that's the initial execution that ping, that pings in. So you just have a skip ping. That's mm-hmm. it. No finish ping. Yeah. That's not necessary. I mean, it seems like it's it seems fairly common that people will, I don't know, one, two, three, four. There's four data points. One, two, three, four, five. Five data points. So like people are skipping during the week more likely than the weekends, hmm. which seems interesting to me. That does. It seems like it could November. be the other way around. Right. I oh, know. I can't see my calendar anymore. It's hiding somewhere. You're gonna be the you're gonna be the new JMac giving talks about what you've uh, discovered while looking at people's ping data, data. Yeah. You're going to be like, we noticed that this many people skip on the weekdays as opposed to the weekends. We've also noticed... Yeah, it's weird. Like on November 7th, we had 142 skips. And on November 8th, we had 74 skips. That was a Saturday and Sunday. But on the 9th, which was a Monday, we had 497. Tuesday, 452. Wednesday, 390. Thursday, 494. So that's it'll, interesting. It'll be interesting to see like things like holidays, like what happens mm. on holidays. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's like, an people, interesting thing. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully I am. I get in touch with Jonathan and he can tell me why I'm a damn fool, um, or if I'm trying to do is is a good approach or you know whatever. Over there, then Ping me just yelled at me. <laughs> <laughs> oh look, over the last. Over the last five minutes, the average HTTP request duration has been more than 350 milliseconds. And I've been getting these like consistently for the last two days. Yeah, from Vapor. Yeah, so, I saw those too. Um, I, and they're like, they come up, you know, two or three times an hour. It's up, oh, it's down again. Or it's down, it's up again kind of thing. You know, there's an alert, yeah. oh, it's finished. So here's I, one of the things that we don't really know why it's doing it unless, yeah. Here's one of the things that I was thinking about as well, uh, which is that, you know, it does possibly happen on occasion that then ping me goes down, right? It, that could happen. It's possible. It does. Um, yeah. Right. And so like this which is, is weird. Like Vapor should Analytics well, has, right? And so yeah. they kind of, they were talking about how they did this. And we actually just are recently implementing the same thing with this phone system. So we mm-hmm. have calls that we need to make internally, but these apps that we have internally are behind a firewall. And we didn't really want to poke a hole in our firewall to open up to webhooks that are coming in from the outside. And so we said we'd much rather have like an outgress where we're going and talking out and seeing if there's anything available. And as well, we want whatever that we're sending those webhooks to to be highly available. And so what we did is we said, okay, we're setting up an API gateway in AWS and then that's going to have a Lambda that pushes to SQS, right? And then we'll have mm-hmm. our Laravel app internally talk out to SQS and say, hey, do you have any new jobs for me? And when it does, it just grabs those jobs and just processes them through the queue, right? Just queues up the job mm-hmm. and then runs it. Um, now, that introduces a small amount of a delay, right? Because it depends on how often you're checking for SQS jobs. But you can be almost dang sure that they're going to be there, right? Like when those webhooks fire and they go, they're going to definitely, you know, AWS is going to be up that API gateway is going to be up and it's going to get pushed to yeah. SQS. Um, so, you know, I was thinking about that for our particular situation. Like if you did get a lot of load, right? Like having something like SQS in front of it would ensure that you never had a spike that made you drop pings. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, the theory is that that's what we have now is True, that we're vapor, using API saying. gateway. Yeah, we're using API gateway and API gateway immediately puts the task on the queue. Like we don't process it in yeah. in that You're HTTP s- request. So we're already kind of doing that, but I wonder if we need to separate out that endpoint that 
it's super like, simple it's just to weird. do. Like, so it's not really. And like the other thing month. too is like, here's the other thing why it's why that's also e- interesting is because you could deploy one of those in each one of the regions, in each one of AWS's yeah. regions, right? So that would save you from having to spin up a whole new Vapor app in each one of those locations, right? You could literally just mm-hmm. set up an API gateway and then process them centrally. Yeah, yeah, we definitely need to to look into it as we get into. Like it. I said, we already um, set it up on our on our stuff, and it's really quite simple. Um, the only thing that would be, I'm not sure about, would be authenticating people before they got to that point, right? So, mm. so you'd have it would be it would be some sort of weird situation where you'd end up having to like because right now what you could do what we could do right now is somebody hits us and then we authenticate whether or not they should be able to talk to us in the first place. And if they can't, then we just reject that, reject reject the webhook altogether, mm-hmm. right? We just say, nope, you're not allowed to talk to us. And yeah. in this situation, I don't know if you'd really be able to do that up front. You'd be able to, you'd have to sort of say, accept it and then sort of figure it out afterwards, right? Yeah, well, um, if we got some unauthenticated thing in the queue, we'll just go, I don't know what to do with this and discard it. Like we'll right. just bail Correct. out of that job. T- really. Totally. That's so, that's it's the same thing. It's just one step later, right? So, so you, you this API next. gateway thing is uh, t- talk me through it. So you've got the API gateway set up, and yep. and what does it do? It just takes the JSON and throws it into SQS. That's pretty much it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yep. And then you just and then we'll just and so this is the part we haven't built yet. So there is, I mean, you can use SQS as a queue driver essentially just how you'd use mm-hmm. redis or your database or whatever um you can consume jobs from sqs but I'm, i don't necessarily want to use it that way because we're already using redis for all of our job stuff and i'm not sure how it would work to have two data break or two queue drivers running at the same time so instead what i really want to do in our situation is i literally just want to have a little sqs connector right i just want to be able to talk to sqs mm-hmm. and see say like give me a job or give me something that you have out there and then let me let me get it, and then I'll figure out how to handle that internally. You know, do I want to create a new record, and then do I want to dispatch a job for that record, or what yeah. do I want to do with it? Yeah. So that's kind of we're we literally just set it up on Friday. So mm-hmm. um, that's as far as I've gotten is it putting it's yeah. pushing those headers in this case from from my <laughs> box because they're only coming in through headers. It's pushing all those into a payload in SQS, and then we're going to be consuming them. So Wilbur Power is mm-hmm. building the second half of that, which is. Grabbing them out yeah. of SQS and and then consuming them, yeah. And it's not like it's not too far away from what we're doing. It's just no, no, no. It's like one that tiny little thing. layer in front of it. That's all it is. Yeah. So it would just be a matter of of tweaking that a little bit so that all of those things hit API gateway, and then we just have something that pulls. You know, you can use SNS or whatever yeah. to to figure that kind of stuff out. That oh, there's a job here. Get it get a notification from SNS that's like, you need to do something and then we'll go and pull it off the queue and, and whatever. So yeah. It, and I know Jack, it's Ellis, worth investigating. Yeah. I know Jack house also said they, so they used to do that, I think. And then they went to dynamo DB. So yeah. And they're using dynamo to, for a lot of stuff now. Yeah. So I'd be interested to look at that. And just too. like, cause you know, realistically we could do all of that stuff. We're, and I don't know how, what we're doing now really differs in any, great detail to doing that because we're already using the API gateway. We're already shoving, you know, the only thing that we're doing is that it's our application that's that's taking that payload and putting it on the queue. So the only difference would be that the API gateway would throw it straight on the queue and then we would have to pull it off the queue. Exactly. So, you know, it's it's a very slight difference. I I don't know, you know, if it's going to have significant impact, but certainly being able to 
deploy it to different places. Like, and it's not like we're going to put one in every country. We right. would probably do one, you know, one in Australia, one in Singapore, one on the east coast of the US, one on the west coast, one in Paris, and one in, you know, Germany. You know, spread them out right. a little exactly. bit. Exactly. Yeah. And that way you can just, you know, it would be up to the user to say, yeah, I'm going to hit this endpoint because it's the nearest one to me. You could just um, do region. Yeah. You could specify region. Right. Yeah. When, and, so, and, and, and you know, we can do that kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 Like we could, and even if someone hits our site, we could figure out, you know, what time zone are they in? And then we could say like, if you're plus or minus five hours. Oh, totally. X, then you should hit this, this endpoint and whatever. So we could have, you know, I don't think it would be too difficult. And then the only thing is you would have to have a slightly bigger database to be able to take connections from multiple. Mm -hmm. So at the moment we've got, you know, as I said at the start, we've got the the T3 micro or whatever, which will give us around about 40 connections before it starts to shit the bed. Um, <laughs> so if we were if we were to, you know, have one in Sydney, one in East, uh, one in West Coast, and one in Europe. So if we just had three, if each of them had 25 connections, you know, that's 75. So we would have to bump up the 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 RDS instance to account for there being multiple, you know, to account for all 75 of those connections being used at once and go from there, which, you know, can happen, you know, midnight when everyone's running their daily tasks and things like yes, that. Yeah. You know, you don't want, you don't want us to be the bottleneck to That's someone's exactly application right. because yeah. it's, it's waiting for a response from then ping me, you know, cause we're pinging it and we're, well, hang on, we're busy doing stuff. So that's a great um, point. And it's like, that's exactly what you would see specifically is you would see, a bunch of traffic on the hours, tons. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's on, you know on the hours on the ten minutes. Like that's when you're going to see it, and it's going to be a massive Taylor, flood. Giving people these stupid fluent methods that are like <sighs> hourly, and it doesn't just pick a random minute. Oh, we could PR that. When you say hourly, rather than making it the zero minute of the hour, it would just give you like a rand value. Mm, that's probably that is interesting. But, Although it would have to remember that random value, it would. Definitely. It would have to know in advance. It would have to like say, you wouldn't yeah. want it. You wouldn't want it to be like random and it gives you seven. And then the next time it gives you like 24 because that's yeah. going to wreak havoc on us. Right, right, right. <laughs> Cause exactly. Because your, sh- your schedule would be changing. And also it would not, you know, like if you're uh, if you're looking, if you know that you're running on the half hour and you're expecting it to run on the half hour, you know, that would be difficult. Like I have specific yeah. jobs I know that are running on the hour and like I sometimes I'll drop something into a folder and I'm like, well, it's going to run at two. And then at 203, I'll mm-hmm. go look at it. And if it hasn't been done, I'm like, what happened? You know? Yeah. Historically, but, you know, before Laravel, when it was doing stuff in the cron, when we had multiple things that had to run like hourly, we would, yeah. we'd have to stagger them out. You'd say, okay, right, this right. is going to run at seven minutes past and this is going to run at nine and this is going to be at 14 to allow the one at nine to finish and yep. things like that. And now we're so there would always be once an hour, right? But they would be on a, on a shifting sh- schedule. Totally. And same with like, if you wanted to run twice an hour or every 15 minutes, well, you might run it at 3, 18, whatever 18 plus 15 is. You're the math teacher. You figure it out. Um, <laughs> you know, and it and it would still, like it'd be every 15 minutes, but it would be offset from the hour. Yeah. So, and we would yep. do that because we would have like two things that need to run every 15 minutes, but you don't want them to run at the same time. Kind exactly. Of thing, so. Exactly. So that now is, we're, we're that just is kind of spoiled. We just put it on this. the hour. We've had the same problem. Yeah, this is actually hourly. part of the reason why we've, why we've created then ping me is because if you do set everything to run on the hour, it's very possible that something could just fail and you would never know about it. Like, cause mm-hmm. it's like third in line. Right. 
after the first two huge jobs and then it never works, mm. never runs or something. That is that is very true. Very that does happen. true indeed. In yes. fact, I spoke about that very thing in my presentation at you did. the Laravel Worldwide Meetup. Yep. And we're actually going to have a post on Laravel News coming up here on Monday uh, with a link to that. So check that out as well. Hey, listen, my my yeah. battery is at 11%. So I'm going to wrap up with a uh, shout out to Fathom Analytics. So speaking of Fathom Analytics, uh, you should definitely check them out at usefathom.com slash north. So Fathom Analytics is a simple, lightweight, privacy-first alternative to Google Analytics. Stop scrolling through pages of reports and collecting tons of personal data about your visitors, both of which you probably don't need. The website stats show up on a single blazingly fast dashboard so you can make business decisions quickly. Also, there is no cookie notice. Fathom doesn't collect any personal data and their GDPR, PECR, and CCPA compliance. You don't need those cookie notices that they come up at the bottom of every single page. We hate those things. In fact, they don't even use cookies. So if you go to the website and you go look at the cookie, you know, you your cookie tab, whatever, there isn't one. They don't have cookies, right? Pretty cool. So unlimited nice. everything in all of their pricing plans. They have... Um, uh, they're ready for surges in traffic, as we talked about. So they're help, built to handle billions of page views. And they use enterprise-level enterprise architecture. So your site's never going to be slowed down by the tracker. And their fair pricing model protects you from huge bills for occasional overages, which we all know happens. So they are used and loved in the Laravel community, as well as lots of other amazing communities. They have a weekly discussion called Above Board, which you should definitely definitely check out on iTunes or Overcast or uh, look at their RSS feed. Uh, they've got some amazing blog posts. And uh, these two dudes are just really great guys uh, to be supporting. So definitely check them out at usefathom.com slash north. That will give you a special uh, little promo code. You'll get your free trial, but you'll also get, I believe, $20 towards your first bill uh, on Fathom Analytics. So check that out. This was episode 85. Thanks so much for tuning in and hanging out with us. If you'd like to find show notes for this episode, you can find them at northmeetssouth.audio slash 85. If you'd like to uh, hit us up with any questions or comments you might have at Jacob Bennett, at Michael Dorinda on Twitter. And uh, we would really appreciate it if you would give us five stars in your podcatcher of choice. Always much appreciated. Mr. Dorinda, any final words for us? I have nothing further. I'm excited to finally, finally be getting this damn thing out. Um, it's been a very long time coming, but um, we are there. We have we've we've finally got there. So it's there. Looking forward to it. It's gonna be awesome. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye all. Bye all. I knew it. I knew you were gonna say bye all. I said it at the same time as you. <laughs> bye, bye everybody. See ya.